Good morning, everybody. Isn't it good to begin to think about doing some of those things we missed last year, like the church picnic, like the VBS, like uh, women's game night? I never went to one of those, but (laughs) I'm sure that was fun, too. What a season it's been. What a season. But God has sustained us. And uh, we're, we're grateful for that. And we're, again, as James noted, grateful that we're able to do uh, what we've been doing thus far, even to be together at all, is really a wonderful blessing. So get that. There we go. So this morning, I want to talk about Queen Victoria. Anybody remember Queen Victoria from your history? Once during Queen Victoria's reign, she heard that the wife of a common laborer had lost her baby, and she had experienced some sorrow herself, the queen had, so she felt moved to somehow express her sympathy. So she visited the grieving woman one day, and she spent a little time with her, and after she left, the neighbors asked this woman, what what did the queen say? Nothing, replied the grieving mother. She simply put her hands on mine, and we silently wept together. The Bible encourages us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Another story to help illustrate this morning's theme. There was a little girl who was sent on an errand by her mother and she took a little bit too long in coming back. And her mother asked her for an explanation when she finally did return. The little girl explained that on her way she had met one of her friends who was crying because she had broken her doll. So so the mother said, oh, so then you stopped to help her fix her doll. Oh no, the little girl replied, I stopped to help her cry. I love when I can get an awe from the audience. Some of us are very good at comforting. Some of us are very good at showing compassion for the suffering. And suffering takes all kinds of forms. Both comfort and compassion is something that a believer in Christ should always seek to be good at. And I believe it's something we can grow in, and this is something we can learn. That's because the Bible tells us that we serve the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. And because God the Holy Spirit lives inside every believer in Christ, so He is able to equip us to channel His love and His compassion to all those that we encounter. We're in a time in our fellowship when we need this reminder A lot of us have needed comforting in recent weeks and are going to need it in the coming weeks. We need a reminder of the primary source of compassion and how God uses us as His tools of compassion. You may have heard the phrase, been there, done that. It's the title of this message. It's a phrase that represents the idea that someone has already experienced something and when when somebody says that to you, it means they have some understanding of what they're discussing with you. And sometimes it might also mean that they have sympathy for you, maybe even real compassion if that's what's called for in any given situation. In the vernacular, it means that they can relate to, right? We've heard that phrase, I can relate to that. They can relate to you, they can relate to your experience, whether your experience is a good experience or a bad experience, because they've been there and they've done that. Now in our Christian lives, in times of difficulty, or suffering, it's often helpful to talk to someone who can relate to your experience. Someone who's been through something at least similar, if not precisely the same, as what you have experienced. 
However, we don't necessarily have to have experienced the exact same thing to offer another person comfort. I've never lost a wife, like many men in this church have experienced, even recently. But I know what it is to experience loss, to lose a family member, a parent, a grandparent, aunt or uncle. So even though I can't say to somebody like Jim Garrett or Warren Norcom or Dallas Henry, brother, I've been there and I've done that so I can truly relate, because I can't. I think the more important thing is that I know and I serve the source of real compassion and real comfort. And God chooses to use us as instruments of comfort, regardless of whether or not we've been there and done that. God's compassion and his comfort are revealed in his word. The word of God is living and active, and it's always for this time and this place, wherever and whenever this time and this place might be. So God can speak to us through his word, just as clearly as I'm speaking to you, by using these words written almost two millennia ago in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. There are some interesting and I trust even hopeful things that I believe we can learn from this passage and the other passages that we'll read this morning that relate to what's said here. First of all, Paul tells the Corinthians that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Looking at these descriptive words, and they're descriptive of God's character, his character and his actions, compassion and comfort, and how they're used here in this passage as well as in other places in the New Testament and what they mean, I think can help us today. This and other passages of Scripture reveal some helpful things about the word compassion, and comfort. First, let's look at the word compassion. In the Greek, it means to feel passion with someone. Otherwise, it's just sympathy, and there's nothing wrong with sympathy, but compassion is to feel with someone, to enter sympathetically into their sorrow and pain. It's the idea that we looked at just a moment ago. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. The New Testament builds on the Old Testament's understanding of God's compassion. And there's three primary words in the New Testament that are translated as compassion, and sometimes they're translated as mercies. They represent the emotion that's aroused by another person's suffering or pain. It's something a speaker sometimes tries to kindle in an audience, or a lawyer seeks to elicit from a judge. God's command for compassion from us as his followers towards others finds its roots in God's own nature, in the nature of God, because he is full of compassion. In this passage in 2 Corinthians, the Greek word here is related to lamentation and grief for the dead, and it came to mean sympathetic participation in grief. So sympathy or compassion like this is ready to stand with and to help the one who has suffered loss. And the fact that it implies participation 
is critically important too because it distinguishes the kind of compassion we have as followers of Christ from the kind of sympathy and compassion that the world has. It's one of the key things that makes our faith in Christ unique among all the world's religions. Think about this. Mohammed didn't leave a throne in heaven to participate in our suffering. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, didn't. And neither did Buddha or Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, or any of the Hindu gods, and certainly not Charles Darwin. But Jesus did. He experienced life just like us, and he did it on purpose. The good, the bad, the joys, the sorrows. That enables him to enter into our grief, our hurting, in a way that no one else can. Another word for compassion in the New Testament is interesting too. You know that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you're getting ready to go down that first drop of a roller coaster? Right? It's the same feeling when you hear the shock of terrible news. Your stomach feels like you've just been kicked in. It's a physical sensation, isn't it? It's what I felt when I heard that Sherry Jackson had taken her own life. It's like a kick in the gut. The New Testament has a Greek word for that feeling, and the word literally means bowels or guts. But it's often translated as compassion or mercy. With one exception in the New Testament, and that exception being in the story of the Good Samaritan, the only person that this word is associated with is Jesus. It says that Jesus felt this way when he encountered the sick in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 when he encountered the blind in Matthew 20:34, when he encountered the demon-possessed in Mark 9:22, In Luke 7:13, it tells of Jesus encountering a widow whose daughter had died, and it reads, and when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. The word there is one of the Greek words we're looking at. It's the word for guts. It's a deep moving, deep inside, deeply felt. The meaning of the original Greek is to have the bowels yearn. The original word is a very remarkable one because it's not found in classic Greek writing prior to the New Testament. This fact is it was a word that was coined by the writers for this purpose. The writers of the New Testament could not find one word in the whole Greek language that suited their purpose so they had to make one to fill their need. It's expressive of the deepest emotion, a yearning of the innermost nature with pity, with compassion. So using the Greek word for intestines to illustrate and refer to God's compassion is like when we use the word guts when we want to say courage in English. It seems clear that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament writers meant to do exactly this. It was needed to impress on the readers the power and force of God's compassion. It was needed to reveal the important aspect that we've already looked at of hurting with, weeping with the one who is suffering. It may have also been necessary because they had in mind a physical feeling that's often associated with true compassion. True compassion can be very intense, can it? The choice of such a graphic word was meant to emphasize to us that God's compassion for us is rooted in his deep love for us and his very real, been there and done that sensitivity 
to our pain. Our English word for compassion comes from two Latin words, and it literally means suffering with others. As in the stories we heard at the beginning of this message. So Paul tells us that God is the father of or originator of compassion. And that leads us to the other word in these verses of Scripture we read at the beginning. It's what God does with this deeply felt compassion. It doesn't just stop there. It's not just something He feels. It's how He responds to this. And it serves as the model of what we should do with our compassion. And that word is comfort. This word is interesting because of the original meaning as well. The Greek word means to call near, to invite, to invoke, by imploration, exhortation, or consolation, to beseech, to call for, to comfort. So a comforter is one who is called alongside another one in a time of need. But the most fascinating thing that we learn about this word as we study it is that the same root word is used in Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. The same Greek word, paraclete, is translated advocate in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, as applying to Christ. It means the one who is summoned to the side of another to help him in a court of justice by defending him. One who is summoned to plead a cause. The background of the Greek term is in the court of law, where the paraclete helped someone. So four times we see in the Gospel of John, this word is used, and it's translated either counselor or comforter, depending on the translation. But in each instance, it refers to the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words of Jesus, starting with John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor or comforter to be with you forever. In John 14, 26, But the counselor or comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In John chapter 15, verse 26, When the counselor or comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And in John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, it's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor or comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the promise that we hang on to. The comforter, the counselor has come because Jesus has ascended into heaven in bodily form. The truly remarkable thing about this is that Jesus' comfort, the comfort sent from God, the God of all comfort, is possible today, right here, right now for all of us because first of all, God is here with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, Jesus can say of our sorrow or pain, been there, done that. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So though the context of this passage is our weakness in resisting sin, if death, suffering, or illness are not weaknesses of the human condition, I don't know what is. But this verse of Hebrews 4 goes on to say in in uh, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word mercy here can also be translated compassion. Because Jesus walked this earth, because Jesus lived in a human body just like us, 
because Jesus felt not just physical, but emotional pain, like we do, what we receive from God at a time like this is not just sympathy. It's not just sorrow. It's true empathy followed by genuine comfort. Been there, done that. So one of the things that Paul teaches us here in this letter to Corinthians is that pain, whether it's physical pain or any kind of emotional pain, and those of us who've been through both sometimes would say the emotional pain's tougher. But what should it do? It should drive us to God for help. He's the source. He's the God of all comfort, the original. Because he's the father of compassion, he's the God of all comfort. And he's the God of all comfort because he's been there, he's done that. He's known sorrow. He's experienced the pain of losing a loved one. He's suffered physical pain. And that makes him able to comfort us in a way that no one else can. Anyone know the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. John 11.35, that's the, ver- that's the go-to verse for the Bible Bowl kids when they just need to come up with, they need one more verse to earn something. And Jesus wept, John 11.35. Why is this verse important in the context of what we're looking at and not in the context of the Bible Bowl kids? Because it reveals the depth of his compassion for us. This verse is from the passage of Scripture that tells one of Jesus' most amazing miracles. Jesus' friend Lazarus, the brother of his other friends Mary and Martha, had been very sick and Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus when Lazarus was nearing death, believing that Jesus could bring healing to their brother. But here's the interesting part of the story. Jesus chose to stay where he was until after Lazarus died. Now that might seem cruel. We know Jesus can heal, right? But Jesus' words to his disciples in uh, John 11, verses 3 through 6, give us the reason. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So we know that Jesus eventually raised Lazarus from the dead. He came and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had already been dead for four days. But before that, he encountered the grief of others who, like him, loved Lazarus. It so moved him that he wept. When Jesus saw the weeping and wailing, he wept openly. Perhaps he empathized with their grief. Or perhaps he was troubled at their unbelief. I think it was probably a little bit of both. Regardless, Jesus showed us that he cares enough for us to weep with us in our sorrow, in our human frailty. He entered into the human experience with us. This is part of what it means for Jesus to be Emmanuel. God with us. And the human experience that Jesus entered into with us inevitably includes death and it inevitably includes suffering. But thankfully, God didn't leave us alone there in that suffering. The Apostle Paul noted that troubles in life can help us shift our perspective from the external and temporal. That is, the things we see, the things we experience, they're temporary. Paul wanted us to look to the internal and eternal, that is, to those things deep inside us and the things that last forever. A few verses after the early part of 
Second uh, Corinthians one that we read earlier. If we go down to verse nine, Paul writes, "Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death." That is pretty deeply felt suffering. But he goes on to explain, "But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead." So Paul was focusing on the eternal reality of the omnipotent God of the resurrection. And that was the source of comfort and hope for him. Then in verse 10, he notes that on him we have set our hope. One of the seemingly great paradoxes of our Christian life is that often the grace of God is most fully and completely experienced not when things are wonderful, when life circumstances are great, but when circumstances are the most critical and difficult. I see some heads nodding. We've experienced that, haven't we? When things are great, we can still have the presence of God and feel, you know, that He's involved in our lives, but man, when things are tough, it's easier to sense that, isn't it? In what we might call the worst of times, However much we might long to rejoice in God, it's often in troubles that we most fully find and appreciate God's compassion, His grace, His comfort, His mercy. It's likely that Paul endured more trouble, more pressure than any of those who read this letter, and probably more than most of us ever have or ever will. But again, he reminds us in verse 9, why did this happen? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is the same God that Paul earlier gave these important titles that we're looking at this morning. The Father of compassion. The God of all comfort. He's the one Paul is reminding us to rely on. The source of all comfort. Note the word all. All comfort. The source of all comfort is God Himself. However, Paul also reminds us that spiritual gifts are not intended solely for the benefit of the recipient of that gift, but are to be used in turn for the service of others. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we see each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its very form. So here's Peter echoing what Paul would say. God's grace also includes this comfort received from Him which enables us to comfort others. We can channel that comfort, God's comfort, through prayer. I mean, that's where it should start, right? But it can also be channeled through practical service or just by being there. But God uses us, that means you and me, to provide comfort to be the tools of His compassion to a hurting world. And it starts in our own family and it continues in our church family. And sometimes our presence is all that's needed. Sometimes that's really the most important thing because our presence, just being there, speaks in ways sometimes that words cannot speak. This isn't because of something in us, just because I'm there. Again, it's God who's the source, but He chooses to use us. Job's comforters, you remember them? They turned out not to be so great. They started out well after Job had lost family and possessions. And it says in Job 2.13, No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. 
There are times when kindness and presence will influence more than eloquence. We don't always have to have the right words to say. We sometimes just need to be there. There are other times when actions speak louder than words. There's a story told of Dr. Albert Schweitzer. When he was 85 years old, he was living in Africa, and on a very hot day, a group was walking up the hill with Dr. Schweitzer, and suddenly he left the group he was walking with, and he went across the slope of a hill to a place where there was an African woman who was struggling up the very same hill with a huge armload of wood for cooking fires. So Dr. Schweitzer took the entire load of wood and carried it up the hill for the relieved woman. And when the others reached the top of the hill, one of the members of the group asked Dr. Schweitzer, why do you do things like that? Implying that in that heat and at his age, maybe he shouldn't be doing that. Dr. Schweitzer, looking at all of the group and pointing to the woman, said simply, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. When we see not just physical, but emotional burdens carried by those in our midst and by those that God brings across our path, we can remember this story, which I believe echoes the sentiments of Scripture. No one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. There's a story told in uh, Booker T. Washington's autobiography, Up From Slavery, and Washington recalled an incident of an older brother's love. He said that the shirts that they wore on the plantation by the slaves were made of a rough and bristly, inexpensive flax fiber. Say that five times real fast. As a young boy, the shirt was so abrasive to his tender, sensitive skin, it caused him a great deal of pain and discomfort. So his older brother was moved by his brother's suffering. And he would wear Booker's new shirts until they were broken in and they were smoother to the touch. Booker said it was one of the most striking acts of kindness he had experienced among his fellow slaves. Doris Eason has told me the story of a day or two after Amy died and there were many people at her home uh, to, their, to offer compassion and to weep with Carl and Doris in that moment. She remembers looking down in their den where her grandkids were and seeing my wife Barb down on the floor playing with them, and being very touched by that very practical example of comfort. That's what needed doing then, and Barb did it. What a beautiful illustration of bearing one another's burdens, which we are admonished to do in Galatians chapter 6, verse 20. Then there are other times when our own experiences, as Paul notes in verse 4, can be used by God to bring comfort to others undergoing similar things. We said a little while ago, you know, I have not experienced the same thing some of the men in this church have experienced, but sometimes it is helpful when you have experienced something similar. There was a store owner who nailed a sign above his door that read, Puppies for Sale. Well, signs like that have a way of kind of getting small children to come by, right? And sure enough, a little boy appeared in the owner's, uh, under the owner's sign, and he said, how much are you going to sell the puppies for? And the store, store owner said, oh, 30 to $50. The little boy reached into his pocket. He pulled out some change. I have $2.37. Can I take, at least look at him? Well, the store owner smiled and whistled, and out of the kennel came Lady, who ran down the aisle of his store, followed by five teeny tiny little balls of fur. One puppy was lagging considerably behind. So the little boy singled out the lagging, limping puppy and said, what's wrong with this little dog? The store owner explained that the veterinarian had examined the little puppy and had discovered that it didn't have a hip socket. It would always limp. It would always be lame. 
the little boy got really excited when he heard this. That is the puppy that I want to buy. Well, the store owner tried to talk him out of it. No, 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 no. You don't want to buy that little dog. If you really want him, I'll just give him to you. The little boy got very upset. He looked straight into the store owner's eye and he pointed his finger and he said, I don't want you to give him to me. That little dog is worth every bit as much as all the other dogs and I'll pay full price. In fact, I'll give you two thirty-seven now and 50 cents a month until I have him paid for. The store owner said, well, you really don't want to buy this little dog. He's never going to be able to run and jump and play with you like the other puppies will. To his surprise, the little boy reached down and he rolled up his pant leg to reveal a badly twisted, crippled left leg supported by a metal brace. And the boy looked up at the store owner and softly replied, well, I don't run so well myself, and the little puppy will need someone who understands. Isn't that true? that sometimes we need someone who understands. We're like that little puppy because Jesus has been there and done that. He does understand. Some of us are like that little boy who find ourselves caring just a little bit more because we understand too. We too have struggled and suffered, maybe with the same thing or the same kind of thing. We too have seen the grace of God. We too have experienced His compassion and his comfort. How can we receive so richly of his comfort? How can we so wonderfully enjoy his mercy and his grace and not comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God? This is part of our calling as believers in Christ. The source of all comfort in the midst of troubles clearly is God himself. But we're his servants. We're his instruments. Paul told of three titles the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father or the originator of compassion, and the God of all comfort. That's who we come to today and every day to draw on the comfort of the one who comes alongside us. Here and now, God is with us. The Word tells us in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So as we finish this morning, let's pray for a couple things. Let's pray for those of us in our midst who are in great need of God's comfort in the middle of trouble and trial today, right now. Let's pray that he would strengthen and sustain these people and that these people would continue primarily to set their hope on him and rely completely on his mercy and his compassion. And secondly, let's pray for the others of us who would be the tools of God's compassion and comfort, that we'd be willing and able to respond to be that comforter used by God, that we'd be faithful to respond in His mercy to those opportunities that God puts in our path each and every day, both in our church family and beyond, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe in other circles that we relate to, to bring His comfort, His compassion, to those who are hurting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that Jesus has experienced all the things that we've experienced. He's experienced pain, suffering. He's experienced emotional suffering. Jesus wept. We're grateful, Father, that Jesus has been there and done that. And because of that, Father, in a way that we can't even really begin to understand, He can be the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion 
in every part of our lives. So we pray first, Father, for those who right now need your comfort. We pray, Father, that it would be very real. We pray that your presence would be very powerful in their lives. And Father, each moment of every day in their grief or their pain or their suffering, whatever it might be, Lord, your presence would be so real that they would experience the peace that passes understanding and it would guard their heart and their mind as they trust in Christ Jesus. And then, Father, we pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be channels of your comfort, channels of your compassion, that your Holy Spirit, as it flows through us, would allow you to touch people through us, through our presence, through our actions, and through our words. Father, that we would be uh, able to have that joy and that privilege of being comforters and being compassionate in the lives of those people that are in our lives because you have empowered us to do that by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these things. Thank you for this great privilege and ask you to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bill.